0: Hey everybody, welcome to Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. This is part four of Metallicast Black Summer, my 10-week chronological track-by-track breakdown of the classic Black album. Uh, Since we're going chronologically and this is part four, we are obviously looking at track four, a true Metallica classic, The Unforgiven. And to help me talk about this classic track a man who i call the master of collections mr brian silver welcome back to the show
1: hey great to be back thrilled to uh get to talk about the black album
0: absolutely now last time you were here it was on episode 19 so if anybody missed that episode check it out brian came on and talked about his one-of-a-kind hall of fame worthy metallica collection uh has a lot of cool items, a lot of cool stories. So go back to episode 19 and check that out if you've not already done so. Uh, but today, Brian is not here to talk about his collection as much as he is to talk about just Metallica in general and nerd out with me. Yes, I love this. This is my favorite thing to do. <laughs> so uh, if I recall from uh, the last time you were on the show, your entry point
1: for Metallica was Justice for All, correct? Correct. It was, it was actually Injustice for All during the Black Album era. Um, so those two worlds collided really fast once I got into Metallica.
0: So that is very interesting. So how did you get... I mean, when the Black Album came out, it was sort of everywhere, I feel like. You know, Inter Salmon was on MTV, it was being played on FM Rock Radio... So when the Black Albums out, how is Injustice for All sort of your entry point during all that phenomenon that's going on with the Black Album?
1: You know, I just, I think it was probably my age. You know, I was probably 13 years old or something. And, you know, I was never exposed to Metallica before then. And so I think that just the first thing that I heard from my friend's brother or at my, at my friend's house was his brother's tape, his Injustice for All tape. And it just happened to be during that 90s two you know probably about 1992 when i uh got it but it was like here listen to this you know harvester one harvester one and then all of a sudden i was like oh by the way have you heard under sandman you know and then have you heard (laughs) you know have you heard nothing else matters and you know that that was that was quick and then not too long after that i just remember watching a year and a half of the life of metallica over and over and over and over again
0: such a great such a great uh time capsule of the band a year and a half in the life of his
1: yeah and you know one thing about something like that too is i, I just feel like people don't do they don't do that anymore because they don't have to because of the internet and that right. was such a like as a fan i remember that that movie was such a look into the band and the recording process and yeah you know like you you felt like you were part of metallica and that was the only way you had that so i mean that was such a treasure for me
0: yeah absolutely and you know, for *Hardwire* Self-Destruct, it was cool because, like, little by little, Metallica released the making of that album online. If memory serves me correctly, I think they did the same thing for Death Magnetic. It was sort of yep. like a track-by-track making of. And, you know, like you said, with the internet the way it is, it you can just do that and release it everywhere. But it's really cool to have, like, a cohesive package uh, like we have for a year and a half of life of especially since this is such a, uh, you know, no disrespect to Death Magnetic and Hardwired, but they are no black album because not many things are. It's such a unique monster of an album and uh, yeah, such, such a huge part of their history. Uh, I mean, it's the biggest thing they've ever done. So the biggest part of their history in a lot of ways. Um, so it's really cool time capsule that period. So if anybody's not seen it for whatever reason, Check it out. Uh, you know, I'm sure it's online, and you could definitely get it on Metallica.com. Um, I still have my VHSs dug away somewhere, so. To Me update. too. <laughs> Me too.
1: And I, I would just add that if you have not seen a year and a half in the life of Metallica at this point, and you're listening to this podcast, turn it off because you're not a real fan. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, for those of you, goodbye.
2: Love it. Love everybody it. else, everybody else, let's have a good conversation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean it's hard to disagree with that. So <laughs> So when you listen to uh Harvester of Sorrow, then uh I mean, so first of all, that makes a lot of sense, you know, because I mean, I'm younger, so my entry point was the black album, but I was so young when I heard it that the next album I really got into the uh got into by Metallica was Load, and then I was like, Oh, they have four other albums, you know. So because of my right. age, I had to backtrack and discover the whole back catalog and kind of educate myself. Um, and I would just grab. I mean, this was pre-internet, so I would just grab every metallic related book, magazine, anything I can get my hands on, and just dive headfirst into educate myself about the history of this band and yada yada yada. But you know, I feel like for me. It was easy to digest an album like Load because my entry point was the Black album. So it was already a little bit more commercial sounding the street blind. I was so young and so naive and so innocent. So uh, perhaps for you it was the same result. But I mean, if you yeah. hear a song like Harvester of Sorrow or Dire Eve," and then you hear Nothing Else Matters, was that like a stark contrast for you or were you just sort of young mm-hmm. enough? Where you're just sort of like, oh, this is all
1: cool. No, you know what, I was so young at the time that and, and I and I've been playing drums at that point for like two years in my life. And, you know, what got me into justice was listening to that you know, those those drums and crazy enough to think that I remember the Rolling Stones at that point. Put Lars Ulrich is one of the world's best drummers, and nowadays people laugh at him being in the top hundred. Um, but that album put that album put him up there, right? I mean, right. what he did yeah. with double bass was, you know, that revolutionized, you know, the drumming as we know it. So yeah. that's what got me, you know, that's why Justice was such an easy attraction. But much like you, because of my age, I then went forward in the catalog. So right. I went in, I, you know, I went right into, you know, the Black Album and Load with you, and then you too like you too i actually later had to go backwards like that you know yeah. and yeah, yeah. so I, you know i probably have more more memories with metallica from the time they cut their hair with load after than i do remember from the time i heard justice and and the Black Album because those times came so fast you know but right the thing about the thing about the black album was it was it, it was just from start to finish was like everything you wanted to in music, it was hard. It was soft. They were easy drum parts. There were some hard drum parts for a 13, 14 year old kid at that time. And, um, that's what, that's what the attraction was, you know? So, and coincidentally enough, that was the start of Unforgiven, which brings us back to the conversation, which then spawned off, you know, multiple versions of it, which I think could be a conversation for a later day. Um, but we can always talk about two and three right now, but I just think that the piece of, The Unforgiven. It's for that album. It's it's a good plateau because it takes the hard and it takes the soft of that album and combines it into one. And it's I think that's why it's such a big big success for them. Yeah, I mean,
0: there's a lot of things that make the Black Album successful. It was you know great production. The the album just has such an amazing sound to to this day. um, It holds up. The songs are there, uh, you know, riff-wise, lyric wise. Um, it it everything was in place for mass appeal, right? Like the right. diehard, hardcore metalheads. I mean, we know, we I've talked in the first three episodes how there's a certain uh level metalhead who was like, Oh, they sold out or, you know, the same thing have been hearing since they released Fate to Black. But right. there's something there for the hardcore metalhead. There's something there for the uh, you know, the high school football player who's never heard of this band ever. Uh, there's something there for the cheerleaders. Like, all like the high school cliches. There was something there for everybody in all those different groups. Which made this such a monster album. And just to backtrack a little bit, obviously, Inter-Sam was the first single. But The Unforgiven was the second single. So... For some people, this could have been the first Metallica song they've ever heard. And like you said, uh, the overall Black Album finds a balance between what I would call old school Metallica. You know, the, it, a song like "Holier Than Thou that I discussed uh, in part three with Jason Long or, was, um, or sorry, with Richard S. He uh, was, um, you know, a great balance of kind of doing a more streamlined less progressive um more dare i say commercial sounding thrash song even though it's i mean commercial and thrash just those two words together just sort of clash but but like you say the unforgiven was another perfect balance you had the heavy you had the melodic and they both but both the heavy parts and the melodic parts were different than sort of anything Metallica had done previously. And at the time I feel like this was a really unique song, um, not only in their catalog, but in the metal genre as a whole.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, James Hetfield actually sings, you know, and I remember there's parts throughout a year and a half of the life of Metallica where, you know, Bob Rock is returning the real and, you know, they're, they're, you know they're going up pitches and singing in octaves, and he's you know so uh, dumb. You know he's over and yeah, over yeah, and yeah. over again. I remember they they're talking about delivery and all, and that was real. That was real singing. That was before nothing else matters. Singing because like you said, this yeah. is the second. You know this is the second um, single off the Black album. So, you know I, I think it's I think it's so interesting. And, you know we were talking about a ear. You mentioned the combination of it being a soft song that goes into a hard song in fact i uh in a nerd way i queued up the the very thing on the the year and a half in a life of metallica that made me really like the song the unforgiven and i actually when i first heard it i liked it but there were things i liked better in it you know i uh i love struggle within like i played that over and over and over again that was my mm-hmm. song but watching a year and a half in a the life there's a part 45 minutes into it and they're going through sounds, and I hear James play this heavy, heavy riff um, that was somewhere in the Unforgiven, but I didn't hear it at first, and so I'll play it for you, and then we'll see if we remember where we are. So this part right here, this is what really put me on to this set. Right. So if you remember that part, when I heard that... You know, when James was playing that riff in a year and a half. Yeah. I was like, fuck, that's awesome. And, <laughs> and, and that and that's the riff that's being played underneath the solo. Right. And that yeah, were yeah, yeah. that was when I was like, this is really heavy. This is really heavy. Yeah. Because you hear that heavy ass riff. You know, on top of it, you're hearing a mix of acoustic guitars and all this stuff. But that was, like you said, that made it that made the song to me the ultimate ultimate combination. And it sounds small and pathetic, but that was this piece that just really drove this song home for me. And so, you know, I'm at a point, what's hard for me, and this is probably a question that would come up at some point in this conversation is I love this song so much on an album, Mm -hmm. but I really don't like hearing it in concert. And that's hard because musically I love this song. Um, All the parts of it. I love the song live for the most part, but I just, uh, you know, I think that there's something with, you know the acoustic verse when you're in a concert that slows down tremendously. Lars, of course, drags a little bit, and and for me, I've actually lost a little love for this song because I've heard it live so many times. All right,
0: so you you brought up a lot of awesome points, and I want so at, at some point I'm going to backtrack because I want to dive into some of the points you made in a little bit more detail. But let's talk about uh, them playing this song live. Uh, Since so that's where we left off of, because I made an interesting note here. Um, you know, if you recall, there was—I mean, the Unforgiven was pretty much played throughout the entire Black Album tour,
2: mm-hmm. but
0: there was a large chunk of time where this song was sort of abandoned um, mm-hmm. during the Load Reload uh, era, like pretty much for the second half of the '90s and early 2000s there was a good maybe 10 year span where this song was performed a handful of times at most and it was not really until the uh world magnetic tour where they started kind of pulling it back out and uh i've said this before but what's really cool about metallica.com if you're a nerd like us is that you can go to the song section of the website and they have like all not only do they have the lyrics and the videos and all that great stuff but they have uh, all the live stats so i mean if you think of the other quote unquote hits from the black album like inter salmon i forget the exact number of the top of my
1: head but it's been performed it's like, eight, it's like 1900 times or something
0: like yeah that. yeah it's between like 13 and like 1700 or something like that you know and same well, thing with sad but true and but do you want to take a guess as to how many times The Unforgiven's been performed live?
1: Ah, <sighs> since you set it up like that, like I would guess two hundred times. It's more than that, but not drastically more. Four hundred
0: eighty-four times. Really? And I mean, for you think think of it, this is one of the biggest hits off the biggest album of their career and since 1991 when the album came out they've only played it 484 times which is pretty spectacular when you think about it sure yeah um so i wonder i i remember reading an interview i could not tell you where or and i'm completely paraphrasing here but i believe it was uh heffield who said uh you know the song was just sort of difficult to pull off live probably because he has the dual guitar and um there's a you know a lot of dynamic stuff happening um but i wonder if part of it was maybe they felt like it just related to your point maybe did not vibe with other songs as well or um i think i think i think the placement of the unforg. i like it live but i think the placement of it is very important more so than like Uh, another quote ballad in their catalog like a fade to black or welcome home sanitarium because the difference is and this was a clear intentional difference was that you know when you listen to fade to black when you listen to sanitarium when you listen to one those are songs that start off like with clean guitar and melodic vocals, but they build and they build and they build and they have those epic heavy choruses. And then they have those long sprawling thrash solo sections. Like it's just a tornado of sound by the end. Whereas the unforgiven is the opposite, right? It starts, right. It's, it starts heavy. It goes melodic. And while it has that great heavy part that we just heard from a year and a half life Metallica with, with, An amazing solo, but we'll get to that later. Um, It's not the same roller coaster, uh, if you will, that those songs have. And when you look at the other ballads that followed, you know, I mean, the ballads, like, The Day That Never Comes is more in line with what we saw in the 80s. Even A Halo on Fire uh, is not even like a true ballad, but it's probably the closest we have on that album, right? But that's more in line with what they did with the 80s. And then the load of reload stuff is
1: just sort of a beast of their own. Um, right. And they never get played. And unfortunately, uh, you know, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation. But I think there's a lot of good songs that should be played in there. And, you know, I think that, you know, it, it, I think part of the problem is Metallica is still on these big stadium tours. Right. And you've got to play Unforgiven right now. And so, you know, if you've got a black album touring around, you, you guarantee yourself that you're going to see the Unforgiven pretty much just about every night as much as you're going to see Sandman at this point. Right. You know, so, uh, you know, we got to get, I guess the whole thing is let's protest and get back to those, you know, early, you know, early 2000, late 90s shows and things like that where they change the so- set list every night, but you know, that's a whole different thing. <laughs> well, for I mean, the record, I, for the record, yeah. I understand, man, 1,336 times.
0: There you go. So, I mean, I think the, related to the, your last point too, I, I, Um, when, well, two points, when they play in a stadium, you're going to have. More casual people there, right? So right, th- they're more likely to play the quote unquote hits than the. I mean, they're still pulling out deep cuts, but they're not going to mix it up as much as they would when it's you know half the audience size and it's more of their hardcore fan base. Um, Absolutely. But I would say the the pro of them not playing a different set every single night is that I do think you get a overall tighter show. Um, I think the band right now is playing some of the best live shows I've ever seen to play from a musical standpoint um, in terms of the quality of James vocals and just the tightness of the band. Um, sure. And, and when you are doing a different set every night that you lose some of that tightness, but also though on the flip side, there's a really cool just rock and roll element to that, right? That keeps it loose and keeps it like this whole train could go off the track at any time. And I. Kind of like that too, so. <laughs> right. But there's also no <laughs> alcohol
1: involved anymore with James, so it's a little different. It doesn't, it doesn't go off the track that much anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: so. Um, right. But uh, to dig a little deeper into, um, you made a really good point about uh, Heffield and his singing voice on this song. And uh, I've talked... Uh, with other people who've been on the last few episodes about Bob Rock and he's I mean for I feel like for the Black album for all intents and purposes you have to talk about Bob Rock as if he was the fifth member of Metallica
1: sure yeah absolutely I mean he had them doing things that he had them doing things that nobody else had them do and you know there was Fleming for a couple albums before that and he just took them to a space that they had never been. He is absolutely part of the success of, of the black album. I think the only thing that you can blame Bob rock for is a bad snare drum sound, insane anger, because everything else has a, has a, <laughs> has a time and a reason, honestly. Um, but the black album obviously was the top of that game. And yeah, they were at a, a point in their career where every, everything was flowing. And so yeah, Bob rocks, Bob rocks, the man. And I, I mean, I think from listening to a year and a half in life of Metallica and watching other interviews, with the exception of Kirk's solo that he literally just, you know, practiced, knew what he wanted, and and went for it. Bob Rock had his hand in every part of this album. Absolutely, and uh, specifically to the vocals,
0: we've seen Hatfield sing, but not like he does here. This is when. We really hear him sing for the first time. And this is something too we can... Uh, I'll definitely explore more in the Nothing Else Matters episode. But... Um, the the Unforgiven sort of the first introduction of like, Oh, it's right. not just the that cancer. signature Hetfield bark and snarl and growl. He He's like you said before. There's harmonies. There's... And there's this... Um, I found this quote from dave mustaine oh boy ooh, that's my dave mustaine uh Uh so this is a a quote he gave to revolver magazine and he says i remember hearing this song when i was talking to lars alrick once and telling him this is my favorite song off the black record and he goes really uh fuck man it was the unforgiven I liked it because I thought this was really the first time I've ever really heard James Hatfield sing. He had sung before uh-huh. and he was a great singer, but that was the first time I ever really, I ever heard him really, really sing. And, uh, you know, it, and I feel like there's this overall warmth to mm-hmm. uh, the vocals that we had just never really heard from Hatfield before. You, when you, it, you kind of expect a singing voice to be, Big sounding, kind of it to be deep. And I think we get that, but it has this unexpected warmth to it. And yeah. uh, again, I feel like when we talked about balance before, I feel like the Black Emperor perhaps has the best balance of both hat fields the the bark hat field and the singing hat field. And the
1: singing hat field, right. Right. I mean, it, right. And, and I think that that's really learned that's how he learned to actually sing. I mean, people people blame Bob Rock for blowing Hetfield's voice out, but at the, at the same time, you've also got to give Bob Rock all the credit in the world for giving James Headfield a singing voice because that was when he actually was singing. And I'm not, no disrespect, I love James and I love his singing, but that was, you know, that's like fifth grade choir type of shit that they were doing to James's voice there. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, this is when James Hetfield went from being uh The vocalist of Metallica to being a true vocalist, right? Uh, Absolutely. He he learned about his voice. He learned what went into doing his voice, and when he you mentioned his voice getting blown out, and you know he had to take singing lessons, and you know now it's you you see these videos of him. He's doing you know vocal warm ups, something he did not do prior to uh, the Black Album, but and I think that's why when it. Since the Black album, you know, during Load and Reload, you hear his singing voice has grown even more so. He lost a little bit of that bark and snarl and growl. And I think that's some of the, um, what the Metallica haters like to comment on. Yeah. But sure. it, his overall singing voice progresses during that era. And now I feel like on an album like Hardwire Self Destruct, he sort of again found a good balance. Um, and his voice has progressed even more so. Um, but the black one was really the first time where it was like, I'm going to give you the Heffield that, you know, but I'm going to give you this other side of me that you've never, ever heard
1: before. Right. Right. Just going to show you how fucking awesome I am anyways, <laughs> yeah. you know, right. That's what it is. That's what it is. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's so there's so much great from James in there, you know, from his singing, I mean, talk about his guitar playing in that too. I mean, you know, that's some fucking awesome riffs in there. And even, even Lars's drum fill, you know, where he's going, you know, from his, you know, Tom to a snare to a bass that triplet is, is a really cool thing. And so, I mean, the whole song has such elements that, you know, you, you, you know, you have to love it. It, It's a, it's a type of song where, you know, a guy can walk down the aisle to it. And then at the same time, he can be throwing his friends into a wall with excitement because it's, it gets (laughs) hard to have, you
2: know, it's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, it's funny. Like, I I guess I got to eat my words a little bit because I said it does not really build up. Um, and that's a lie. It does not build up the same way as the previous battles we've heard on the, uh, you know, on ride the lightning and master puppets and just for all, but it has its own, that, bridge section and yeah. it like build it's a short guitar part that just is building up as if it's ready to explode and then Kirk Hammett yeah just rips into it and it truly feels like it's exploding and I wanna talk about this guitar solo. Um you we've mentioned a year and a half in life of there's that and you've briefly mentioned the scene but there's that what I'll call a famous scene. Um you know Lars Ulrich is uh notoriously coaches Kirk Hammett uh when you know during his guitar solos um at least during this time period and Bob Rock is just nitpicking Kirk nitpicking Kirk no, and Kirk works, comes in man. with all these ideas and you know Uh, If you read interviews from him, he wanted to do kind of a more complex, more progressive soul than what ended up on the record. And then Bob Rock delivers that famous line. Do you know what I'm going to say?
1: Go for it. You know it. Let me hear that
0: guitar player of the year solo.
1: Right. 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 And then he goes, all right, just go for it. You want to fucking go for it? Fucking go for it. (laughs)
0: Exactly. All right. (laughs) Here it is. And that is the amazing part about seeing that scene unravel is then Kirk plays the Unforgiven solo, pretty On much video. as you hear it from the record. <laughs> On video.
1: Right. It's unbelievable. Like it's
0: such a natural, magical moment. You know, like, it's like...
2: boom, You know, it's fucking... Let do thing. Hey, hey, that's... You know what I mean? It's like it should play off what's there. Going up high, it's just like. Where you I guess what I'm trying to say, he starts up there and then goes down. And all the shit you said right there is great shit, but I don't see it being any less great if it comes in in bar two instead of in bar one. But what I'm saying is build rather than blow your load, bring everybody down, and then build it up again.
1: I'm just saying let's fucking get guttural, and build it to a peak. Because that's why there's the strings and all those changes at the end. Why can't it start here and go
2: like that? Yeah, uh, that's that's my my school of thought. Grab them, and like, take them to this other place, and then really take them to a, a higher plateau. Fuck, man, son me a Go ahead. Go ahead. Impress me. Mm-hmm. God has permission. Do whatever you want, Kirk. And you, you agree with him? Go for it, man. Well, come on, let's cut the shit and start working. Cut to the chase and fucking play, okay? Alright, man. Now that you've uh you know warmed up, mm-hmm. let's hear the fucking guitar player of the year solo. Okay. <laughs> Pretty much, pretty much uh, the type of
0: guitar solo I've been trying to do for the last five or six years. And uh, I'm really proud of that. And Kirk has gone on record as saying uh, not too long ago that this is his favorite solo. I have a quote from him that says, um, I was thinking about the solo in The Unforgiven. I remember showing up to the studio that morning. He was going to play all these certain licks. Then Bob Rock's going, that's fucking crap. Then it was one of the very first times when I said, "Just fucking hit the record button and shit flowed out." I prefer to that's record my nice. solos that way now because I like the spontaneity of it. That's how that
1: solo is pretty much created. Right. I mean, that's it, everything about it's amazing, you know. And yeah, it's it's Kirk. It's that. In my my opinion is a perfect guitar solo for me. That is. I, that know. Is,
0: I you know. I I I a hundred percent agree. This is my favorite Kirk Hammett guitar solo.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I it's, mean, you know, I, you, you know, when you listen to Kirk souls and I love all those solos, you know, you, they almost sound like at some point they could have just been made up partway through it. And this one is, it, it's thought out, you know, I mean, from that where that he slides down to the very beginning of it, you know, just, yeah, and it, it, the whole thing is just perfect in the, You know, the barring of the, of the chord up to, you know, the fingers running up and down. It's, it's
0: incredible. It really is. Yeah. In my notes, I said, it lacks the complexity and technicality of some of his other solos that came before, but this solo is just so immediate in your face, but at the same time, super melodic and catchy. Like how many guitar solos do you hear that you really want to sing along with and you feel the need to sing along with that's how yeah. catchy this solo is and i wrote same thing as you i wrote it is a fully thought out
1: solo uh-huh yeah i mean yeah. like you said i mean look at he was doing he was doing solos on kill em all they're three four times as fast i get that you know he was 19 right. years old then but that's yeah. not what this is this is so much more than that it's funny that you say sing along because it, it, it's it, at a Metallica concert. It's, you're right. It's, it's just like lyrics, you know. Wah, yep. Everybody's doing that stuff.
0: Right. Um, this is know, the ultimate air guitar solo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the, the ultimate rock guitar, star solo.
1: <laughs> it's the fucking guitar player of the years solo. So like,
0: you gotta respect <laughs> it, right? Yeah, and I and I made a note too. You know, like the 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 haters out there they love to point out his overuse of the wah pedal and of course he always gets the mustaine comparisons because of yeah. the history there and 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 you know what dave mustaine might be a better technical player or at least more progressive and flashy and and compared sure. to, and when you look at what at least the souls that they both typically play but absolutely but i think um Kirk Hammett Similar to the conversation we had about James' vocals, I'm going to use that word again, balance. He finds a perfect balance. He can do fast, rip-your-face-off solos, right? They call him the ripper for a reason. But yeah. just also at the same time, super melodic, and generally they solos that you can sing along with. They're, they are part, um, they feel like part of the song more so than like something that's happening over the song.
1: Right absolutely absolutely it's its own it's its own i mean you you say it great here you really do and i'm not trying to just agree but it's what you said is so true is it it's there's there's depth and changes amongst the guitar solos and it's not just you know power chords over it. there's thoughtful stuff like i played before underneath it that are different parts of the song and that didn't happen a lot in in the other albums there's just more complexity to this yeah absolutely um,
0: and I f- definitely, uh, we have to also touch upon, um, the lyrics of The Unforgiven. Um, again, I think these are some of my favorite ever from Hetfield. Um, he has gone on record of saying, um, he's, I think he's said it, he has said it multiple times, but, um, have you ever seen the documentary Absent that he was a part of? Yep, I did. So that is uh, a really interesting um, segment of him. So I I might have mentioned this on a previous episode at some point, but for those of you who have no clue what I'm talking about, because it's not a Metallica documentary, uh, but basically Absent is a a doc about uh, different individuals who uh, had absentee fathers and um, their personal story. And the movie ends... I would say with about a 15 minute segment interview uh, with Hetfield. And it's a really, really intriguing uh, 15 minutes uh, because not only is he going to, not only is he very open about um, his childhood and his um, things that he went through, but it makes great parallels with his lyrics. And you know what I, I, I think that what I love most about modern day Hatfield, is that he has become way more open with about the things that he writes? I know, like during the Black Elm era, if he was asked about a lyric, he'd be like, "Fuck you." <laughs>
1: yeah, you're right. Right now, right now he digs into his soul and tells you about it. You know, now yeah, yeah. yeah. Next, next thing, next you he knows, he can tell you the Unforgiven's about his grandfather named Frank, who you know did this and this. Before, I'd be like, "Fuck the, <laughs> fuck the old fucking the Unforgiven." Yeah,
0: and. Uh, but he he said they asked he you know they look at part of the lyrics related to his childhood so they look you know they they share some of Dyer's Eve they share some of um uh the god that failed um but they ask him what is the most personal song you ever written and without hesitation he goes the unforgiven mm-hmm. um and when you really break down the lyrics you can start seeing knowing his story uh you know the parallels of it. Of uh no, totally. You know, new blood joins this earth and quickly he's subdued. Through constant pain, disgrace, the young boy learns their rules. Growing up in this strict um Christian science household it, and just feeling like he was kind of uh to quote another band, a slave to the grind. <laughs> yeah, right. Right.
1: Yeah, I mean that 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 verse and then the other one that, you know, that gets me a lot is, you know, halfway through the song, they dedicate their lives to running all of his, he tried to please them all this bitter man. He is, yeah. you know, you, you know, you live, you know, then he says throughout his life, that, uh, the same, he's battled constantly this fight. He cannot win the tired man. They see no longer cares, you right. know? I mean, it's just, it's, it's fucked up, right? You yeah. know, it's fucked up. And, and to me, you know, the other lyric that I really love, which is so simple is I love the lyric you labeled me. I'll label you. You know, it's, it's just, it's kind of that an eye for an eye type of attitude that Headfield had back then too, you know, and that's, you know, you judge me, I'm going to judge you. And that's, that's, that's heavy. And that's, you know, everybody talks about that wall that James Headfield built around him and frankly still has to this day, you know, and I mean, that's pretty, you know, that's pretty hardcore, you know, you label me, I'm label you. And I just think it's, it's really, it's incredible.
0: Right. And um, this is kind of a throwaway. I always love the line to never shine through in what I've shown. Um, I think that's a great line. Um, but one of my other favorite things about these lyrics is Heffield does, uh, I call it one of his tricks, um, where, you know, we, we've seen it in a number of uh songs. We saw it in Injustice for All. You know, uh, we saw it, we see it in, am I savage where he turns things around and reveals it's him or it's us. Uh Right. And I think perhaps the unforgiven does it the best, uh, you know, to die regretfully, that old man here is me. And it's sort of, he's talking. you can kind of see too, in retrospect, he's perhaps probably talking about his father. And now he's seeing himself for sure.
1: You know, he's seeing his father in himself. Yeah. And it's funny because you and I have never discussed this before. And that's, that's always been kind of my thought is it's, it's him seeing his dad, you know, I think I tie his dad to this song quickly because that was also when probably the first and only time I ever saw Virgil Hatfield was on a year and a half when they're talking yeah. about the unforgiven. Yeah. So I, you know, I've, I've always thrown that, that, assim, that, uh, you know, assimilation of the song with him. And then like you said, I really feel that's it, you know, that's, that's his, you know, his hatred and, you know, right, right there for his dad. If you, and again, if you haven't seen the movie, you've got to see it because it will really help you understand James Hetfield.
0: Yeah, totally. Totally. I think, you know, it's what would be really interesting to do is watch at the very least part one of a year and a half, which is about the recording of the black album and then follow that up with the classic albums documentary, um, which was done in I it was Jason News was still in the band, so it must have been like ninety-nine yeah. or two thousand. Yeah,
1: somewhere around there.
0: Um I think that's like a cool sequel because it's almost almost like ten years later in the band, you know, reflecting back. So it's kind of cool to have both those as like parallels of each other. Um right. But yeah, I mean this is you know there are, you can go back in the catalog and see, uh, you know, Hatfield writing at, you know, as third person or about somebody uh, kind of about a different character and in retrospect, like, Oh, he was singing about himself, whether he knew it or not, like in Master yeah. of Puppets, when he's talking about addiction, um, Dire's Eve, uh, uh, but this is the, really the album where he's, Finally, singing about I, about me, and looking inward, um, yeah. and the unforgiven, I think is you know along with nothing else matters, and along with the God that failed, probably the, those are probably the three best examples of him really just breaking himself down for the first time. Sure. Yeah. So
1: and not one more, <laughs> one more reason why this whole album, you know, is. is crazy and like you said breaking himself down that's what this is all about
0: yeah yeah and it's something that we would continue seeing him explore right on load with tracks like bleeding me and um you know and so on so forth in and on the following albums um it's funny because um as i'm speaking i was thinking you know There are sequels to the song, right? There's The Unforgiven 2. There's The Unforgiven 3. But when you look lyrically, a song like Am I Savage could even be a sequel to The Unforgiven lyrically, uh, talking about... Sure, talking about himself. Right, now he's not only, you know, The Unforgiven, he's seeing his father and himself, and in Am I Savage, he's seeing his father and himself, and now he's seeing it in his son.
1: (laughs) Right, right. It's really interesting.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so it's like, these themes have followed him, you know, in his songs on and off, but since really the black album and this song was just such a great exploration of that side of him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's great
0: points about the lyrics and uh, one more point I'll make lyrically and, and I do not want to go deep into the sequels. Cause I feel like, you know, like you mentioned before, that's a whole separate conversation to be had. Um, But the way I look at it is uh, if the Unforgiven 1 is about kind of childhood, the Unforgiven 2 is maybe more about like adult relationships, and the Unforgiven 3 is more just about your relationship with yourself.
1: Heavy, heavy. You know, know, I, I couldn't, I've never, I've never come to my own personal conclusion of if. Naming the songs The Unforgiven 2 and Unforgiven 3 made sense, or if they should have yeah. stood on their own. Um, but, I, you know, there's there's got to be a reason, and that might be the reason that it's done that way, is there's got to be a reason that the band named it 2 and 3, and maybe right. the
0: lyrics follow it like you suggest. Well, I think the most interesting example of that, too, is Unforgiven 3, because Unforgiven 2, you know, has, like, the same chord progression. And it, it, right. has a, it has more of, like, a, uh, you know it has more of like a country western twang and uh, uh it, but it ha- falls a similar lyrical theme and pattern and it it really sounds if they did not call that the unforgiven 2 and release on a record i feel like people would be like oh what is this the unforgiven 2 like right, it sounds right, exactly. they're so similar but the unforgiven yeah, 3 absolutely. is really unique because that really is like such a drastically different sounding song than the first two I mean, down to where they do not even include, like, the horn intro um, mm-hmm. or anything, really, to connect. It's just the overall kind of lyrical theme um, of forgiveness or not being forgiven. Not Right. Not being forgiven. Um, so. By the way, the horn intro, I, um, they have, I remember seeing, I think it was in the Classic Albums documentary... You know, they play it, it they, the horn intro was sampled from somewhere. They reversed it, and they did not reveal it on that documentary for, like, kind of joking was... around for legal reasons, but legitimately for legal reasons also. And I've, I've been trying to figure out where it's from. I've heard it's, it, it's definitely from a Western movie, I think. But I've read it's from The Unforgiven, the movie. I've read it's from A Fistful of Dollars. And then I've read it's from the good, the bad, and the ugly. And all those make sense. I know Hatfield's a, is a huge uh, Clint Eastwood fan and all that. But do you know where uh, – do you know definitively where the horn was lifted from?
1: No. No, I heard originally it was from the Unforgiven. But I thought that was just a joke. And then to hear you rattle off the other ones made me realize, you know, it's definitely not that and that's just part of the story. But I never had yeah. that confirmed or denied. But – um, uh, that uh, that would be i guess a great piece of metallica trivia if anybody knows the answer to that i would love to know that too
0: right yeah if if you know then please let us know on uh facebook or twitter or instagram or wherever um yeah just
1: th- tell us your, <laughs> or your new chat for, for the love chat, of god the, yes thank you for chat. mentioning
0: the chat it's it we're a small group but we're a tight-knit group uh so uh, Brian is part of it. Uh, Richard, who you heard in the last episode, is part of it. Um, Flick Chat—it's a free app. Uh, I'm not sponsored by them. I'm not making a penny off this. I just think it's a cool thing. It's—it's it's, uh, basically uh, an app designed to chat about your favorite podcast. But I mean, you know, I we talk a little bit about Metallica, but it's really just a general Metallica conversation. And I'm open to talking about metal and music in general. And yeah, we can do that on other forms of social media, but this is just a little bit more streamlined, and it's you don't have like any character limits like you do on Twitter. It's a completely free app. If you download it on your phone and you just search Metallicast, uh the group will pop up, and you can join. And we have only a handful of members, but uh, we've been making good use of it. I think.
1: Yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. It's a fun, it's a fun, uh, fun group. So sign up for it. And just so you know, to keep my facts going, I did pull it up and. Uh, James confirmed in the documentary Classic Albums that it is, in fact, uh, taken from The Unforgiven. Oh, there you go. I've, uh, so I was, it's funny because I
0: was trying to think back to that documentary because I know he talks about it, but I felt like he like danced around it and did not directly reveal. But maybe he
1: does. Yeah, I don't, re- I don't remember that, but there, uh, there's the information right there, so we'll stick with it.
0: The more you know. <laughs> the more you know. Um, I think, too, we should mention um, the music video related to the song. Because for me, and maybe this is just my entry point into the band, um, but if if I had to say the top three most recognizable Metallica videos, it would go in order one, then it's just Sandman, then this, which is ironically the first three videos that they did. So maybe that has something to do with that as well, but I think this is definitely uh, one of their more iconic videos
1: yeah no no doubt about it you know I think as a as a kid i didn 't like this video only because in every video, I wanted to see a drum set because I was you know <laughs> yeah. i didn 't have my drum set yet, so I just want to watch the play the drums, yeah, you know, so I really loved like the Sam a true video, I even liked the Samman video because they had the. The strobe of of drums coming in there, but yeah, 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 um, you know when you think of the overall story that's being told in relationship to the song, obviously this is the best one for a million different reasons. Yeah, uh,
0: it, you know from you really see the it's you know the child trapped in a room, he's kind of carving away at the wall, carving carving like a square in the wall, looking, he's trying to escape, and you see him become like middle aged and then a just a very elderly man. Just, and right. Then the the hole opens up and at w- once he can be free the elder movie man lies down and he assume
1: passes. and then right and then he's done
0: yeah yeah
1: that's heavy shit right I mean
0: <laughs> I know I was just gonna say we, it, we got a little deeper on this episode than I thought
1: we might that's heavy, <laughs> Jesus, that's heavy that's heavy shit but it's true you know and you know in, in preparation you know in preparation for talking with you and tonight I listened to the song a bunch. You know, yeah. I didn't really look up too many facts or anything like that because I wanted to really get into the emotion and and rawness of the song. But I mean, yeah. the more we talk about it, the more you think of how fucked up a lot of it is. You know, I mean, it's heavy. Yeah. It is heavy. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. You know, it's so many people like it for the musical content that you and I were talking about in the beginning and the mm-hmm. progression that it does. But, you know, it's you hit it. It's it's. It's heavy fucking lyrics, and it's that's one of the things that makes it such a good song.
0: Absolutely, and I think it's you know related to that point. It's one of those songs that you've heard so many times that you it's so easy to sing the words and no longer think about what those words mean. Absolutely, exactly. And and those in the message, the meaning of the song gets lost a lot of times because. You're just like,
1: yeah, I'm forgiven. Fuck yeah, the song rules. <laughs> right, right. And, and, that's, and, and, you're, and you're absolutely right. And I think that I'm, in that I'm in that area right now. Like I was saying, I was bashing it a little bit when I see it on tour. Because yeah. of that, it, it, you sing it, you get through it. It's like it's a good time to catch your breath and stretch your knees. But you don't think about what this, the lyrics are in the song. And the reasons I used to rewind it on tape over and over and over and start it again. Right. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So, are we? I think.
1: Are we forgetting it,
0: anything about uh the Unforgiven, Brian, that we should mention before this episode wraps up? I. Yeah,
1: you know, uh, I I think that the uh the Headfield the Headfield guitar, the acoustic that he uses, is really fucking cool. If you haven't seen yeah. that, you, you know, I mean, it's got that like etched in flames. But I, you know, again, I think that listen to this podcast and then go back and listen to the song, and. Yeah. It's interesting because I'm as I'm as much listening to you tonight as probably the people listening to the conversation because I'm thinking of the song in a different way because because of what we've said and I think that that's what's the mindfuck of of Unforgiven. So it's thank you for thank you for making me think more you know about the deepness of this tonight.
0: Oh, my pleasure. I did not know I was going to have that effect on you, Mr. Silver
1: it's great it's great
0: <laughs> but that's why honestly though all joking. that's why i think it's cool to have these conversations because there's been so many times where um like for example last uh last episode we were talking about holier than thou and i like the song i, yeah, I like every yeah. song on the blackout but for me that's a weaker song off the album uh, but then you know you're reading it you're you know i will read what people are saying about it and that's a real big fan favor a lot of people love that and then hearing what richard had to say but i walked away from that episode like oh, yeah that song is really badass right <laughs> right and, and, and
1: i, and I, I like that song more now <laughs> and, and i think i go back to you hit it on the you hit it on the head with these and it's and it's all the it's all the Black Album songs, including "Sad Man." Is yeah, is you know, you just hear them and you just you, you sing them. It's like you're going through the motions with them, and there's not as much yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's I, 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 maybe it's just me, but there's not as much connection to to me when they play these live because I've heard them a million times in my car. So it's like yeah. you just don't get quite as jazzed up for these ones you hear regularly because it's the fucking Black Album. It's the greatest you know hard yeah. rock slash heavy metal album you know, known to man, you know, outside of Jethro Tull, um, which is a joke. (laughs) And, and, you know, and and so I think that's why it is. And it's been played so long to this day. It's still played so often that it's just, like you said, it's more of a sing-along as opposed to, fuck yeah, they're playing this song right now.
0: Right, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I literally grew up with this song. I -hmm. mean, I remember... I mean, my introduction to this album only existed because um, I have two older brothers and MTV would be on the background, you know, and they'd be listening to... Uh, I had one bro who's, you know, got really into grunge and rock in general. So like all this stuff would be sort of like playing in the background. So I just remember being like in first grade and absorbing Inter-Sandman. And I, then I remember elementary school, like borrowing cassette from my neighbor and I recorded, um, I recorded uh, on the black onto a blank cassette. And I remember that uh, Don't Tread on Me, which was the last song on side A, was cut off. Oh. <laughs> and Struggle Within was also cut off. Because that was the last oh. song on side B. So then God. I had to go out and buy the actual cassette so I could have the full album. Uh, but funny. I mean, I bring that up because I remember going, you know, I remember just having that cassette in my Walkman headphones on and just absorbing that album from like elementary school on
1: it's over and over. I have
0: heard that album. I I could not even imagine to count like even start to count or guess. But I mean, if you told me I listened to it a billion times, I'd be like, Oh, that's probably right. I mean, so, so, and that's, it's, it's so relating to your point i mean those songs are just part of my dna now i feel like right you know yeah. so like i i don't even think about that context and part of the reason why i love the black one is that it has a um, a personal connection to me because it was my introduction to the band and i have like all those childhood memories so it's like i have like an uh like an um, uh an emotional connection to it in right totally but I right. don't really have an emotional connection to the songs as much as I do on other Metallica albums because to me they're just they're just kind of more surface level because I was young when I heard them and they just I just absorb them like a sponge and I just they're just part of me. I don't really yeah. internalize them much. Except when I do right. something like this and I really start going to
1: detail about a specific thing, you know? yeah yeah I'm, i agree with you a million percent point well said whoo this was fun brian this is intense man i need to go cleanse. <laughs> i might this i need more. like
0: i don't smoke but i need a cigarette and a shower i think
1: <laughs> no this
0: is look i
1: mean there's about three people in the world that i can have this conversation with and you're one of them so i appreciate Whew. you giving me the time to talk about this this is uh this is awesome. The, the, if you haven't watched any of the episodes leading up to it, I mean, you know, when you talk, when you talk about songs like Holy Roy, everybody has an opinion. And I think when it comes to yeah. a song like The Unforgiven, literally everybody has an opinion, whether they're, they're Metallica yeah. fans or not. So it's a great one to have a discussion on. I appreciate being back on.
0: And my, my absolute pleasure, Brian. you welcome back anytime. But before you sign off, you know, you said that everybody has um, an opinion And that's true. And I have a few other opinions to share. Um, Our buddy, Jason Long, who I uh, had on for Sab But True, and he's the guy who introduced us, so we owe him for this uh, connection. Uh, But he commented on Facebook, he said, about The Unforgiven, for me, it's a top five all-time Talica song. Hetfield's lyrics are incredible. Blends a lot of what they do best with the acoustic intro. Heavier during the verses than you might think. Kirk Solo is his best, perfect, iconic. <laughs> that comment's funny because I feel like it basically sums up this whole episode. <laughs> right, right,
1: <laughs> right. And taking away Jason, way to way to wrap it up. That's, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then on uh, Flick Chat, which I mentioned before, um, Paul writes great song. Kirk Solo kicks ass. My only negative, my sister started liking them. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's funny. That's and then, funny.
0: <laughs> and then Ralph, who I, I love Ralph, Brian. I'm not sure if you've had much interaction with him on the Flick Chat app, but he's, he's always down to talk Metallica music, and he always leaves me a, a really great uh, thought-out uh, comment. So he says, um, After listening to the first three songs from the album, I had definitely figured out that my band had truly changed. But after hearing this track, it was definitely clear that they were breaking away from the thrash metal world. First, there was that weird horn intro. And then there was the soft acoustic guitar. Not unheard of in the Metallic world, but something still seemed far different here. Once I heard the vocals, though, I was really blown away as James Heffield was actually singing in a clean voice. There was no screaming, barking of the lyrics on this song. I remember being so shocked that I almost fell off my bed. This was certainly a departure from the norm, but it was absolutely amazing. Eventually, I got to the, quote, guitar player of the year solo from the ripper Kirk Hammett that takes you on an amazing, soaring journey. By song's end, I was completely bowled over. This song is a masterpiece. I think most would now agree that it is a Metallica classic for sure. No doubt. No doubt. Hard to argue with all that. Um, This is truly... uh, you know, the Black Album is a classic album. It is one of the biggest albums of all time. And The Unforgiven is a classic song and one of the biggest
1: metal songs of all time. No no doubt. The biggest, the biggest song on the biggest album for the biggest band. What a, what a great thing to be a con- part of a conversation.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, Brian, thank you so much again for uh, joining us. Uh, Do you want to plug the Metallica Collectors group on Facebook for anybody who might be
1: interested? Sure. Why uh, Metallica Collectors, not Metallica Collectors page on Facebook. Join us. You've got to answer some questions so we know you're not a bot and you want to participate. Um, Over 10,000 people. There's buying, selling, trading, just conversation um, about pieces all the time. Lots of cool shit goes up. So if you have any Metallica Collecting uh, interests or just want to see what's out there, definitely sign up for it.
0: And if you're interested in collecting, or you just want to hear some really cool metallic stories you've not heard Brian in episode 19 yet, again, go back and check that out. Um, he has yeah. just one of a kind uh, items. When when you hear what he has, you're gonna be like, "How's that in his house and not the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame?" <laughs> this is
1: true. This is this is true. And uh, I think I I think I got like a whopping like three new Facebook friends. Um, from people that heard my podcast with you. So Ooh. that was pretty cool. People sweet you knowing I I don't think any of them were from America either.
0: Yeah, you know what's funny is that I I'm so ignorant that I always talk about things um, as as if everybody's an American who lives on the East Coast. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm what like, a no, del- a lot of people listen in other countries or or at the very yeah. least are like on the West Coast or you know, you're on Central Time, so...
1: <laughs> yeah, I look, and I mean that. you know that's the most amazing thing, was I was shocked to hear people from around the world that uh, they replied to me and sent me a message saying they listened to that. I mean, how cool is that? So for you, yeah, really you know, cool. with, with the reach of your show, and then for me, for people that heard about my passion for collecting, and, uh, you know, I, I was floored the other day when somebody even quoted one of the things that I said on, on, the, uh, on the podcast in a oh, chat wow. at the Metallica Collectors uh, site, so... Oh, that yeah that's awesome. awesome hello to hello to everybody that is not in the midwest of the united states of america how about that <laughs> i i
0: second that um please follow uh Metallicast on facebook twitter and instagram i'm at metallica's pod on all three um i'm trying to come up with as many ways as possible to get the Metallicast militia to interact yeah. with me um Whether that be on social media, on Facebook, there's also Metallic Militia group, but I honestly rarely use that. But there's several people in there that post a lot of random shenanigans in there. Um, To substitute that group, I really want Flick Chat to get off the ground. I think it's a really cool forum uh, to talk with like-minded people. Um, And like I said, there's only a handful of us in there, but we're all really digging in, I think, and we're all having a really good conversation. Uh, So download that app for free on your phone. Use the code Metallicast and you'll be part of the group. Um, you can also always email the podcast Metallicast at com, And you can, of course, always leave a voicemail at the Metallicast hotline, 203-548-0609. It is a Google number. It is so you can use your phone. You can use your desktop, whatever you're comfortable doing. Um, I will not answer, but it will go to a voicemail and I'll be more than happy to Share anything you write or say on the air um, and you know if you have a podcast of your own or uh, a Twitter handle whatever you want to plug, I got no problem doing that um, please download subscribe, and leave a positive review for the podcast. Let's get these numbers growing. I feel like I'm the little Metallica podcast that can you know this I got some big competition out there uh Brian
1: with yeah, these, you know uh, what? right you're the you're the real deal right there.
0: Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, But um, uh, as always, I want to end with a cover. Now, I did something a little bit different for this episode. I put a poll on Twitter. Um, I was doing research for um, Unforgiven covers, and as you might expect, Brian, there are just dozens upon
1: dozens of of different covers out there of this song. Dude, I just saw... I just saw, talking about Metallica covers for one second, I just saw that some 41 just covered like five Metallica songs this week. Yeah. Yeah, they did that
0: as part of, um, it was like an in-studio Sirius XM thing. I listened to it this morning. It it was pretty tight. Right, not bad. Yeah, not too bad. It it reminded me of, um, uh, not a handful of episodes ago, I talked with uh, Richard S.E. about MTV Icon, and they started off that show. And they kind of did like a similar uh, medley as they did for Sirius XM. But, you know, that's a band that's not really my – they're not a band I would seek out to listen to, but they're a tight band, and I love that they wear their uh, influences on their sleeves, you know?
1: No no doubt about it.
0: So to kind of help me narrow down uh, covers, you know, I put – I just did a poll – four genres of music. Do you want to hear the Unforgiven as a metal song, as a Gregorian chant song? Yes, that does exist as a classical song, which there are tons of versions of out there. Piano covers, cello versions, you know, from, from Apocalyptica and others, as well as uh, a reggae version, which I was expecting to hate because I'm really not into reggae, but actually was pretty cool. Um, and that was, it, it's not a strict cover. The lyrics of the verses are different. Um, but the overall vibe of the songs there, the chorus is there. So it's kind of like a cover slash sample. Um, but no surprise here, Brian, uh, metal won out. Who would have thought that metal heads would vote Jeez. for metal shocker, <laughs> but, uh, 48% voted for a metal cover of the unforgiven. So I chose, um, uh, what I think is a very metal cover. Uh, it's from Metal Hammer's A Tribute to Metallica's Black Island. This is a German band called Dark Age. So here they are with their cover of The Unforgiven. Join me next week as Metallica's Black Summer rolls on with Part 5, wherever I may roam. And I'm going to be joined with another guest who I'm very excited about because he's a good buddy of mine and uh, the co-host of another podcast. I'm getting off the ground for those of you who are into more extreme metal or into drinking games. Uh, this will be a good podcast for you to check out. Uh, it's called The Course Paid Podcast, and it's on everywhere you can find Metallicast, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, and, of course, our home site, fans.experts.com. So until next time, ladies and gentlemen,
1: middle up your ass. Rock up, motherfucker. Later. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we interrupt this podcast to let you know that The black is still not on the Billboard 200. Metallica has reported that sales have rapidly declined since Brandon launched Metallicast Black Summer a few weeks ago. On the bright side, experts credit Mail Up Your Podcast for having Hardwired to Self Destruct still in the Billboard 200, though, because Brandon mentioned it on Metallicast last week, those sales did dip a little bit as well. And if he keeps on mentioning it, we fully expect that it will be completely out of the Billboard 200. By next week. We now return you to your regularly scheduled podcast.